Aloha. This is Catherine Cruz. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. Hawaii Talks. Salt of the Earth. We've got a Hanaho show for you today, spotlighting salt flats across the state. Our first stop, Hanapepe, Kauai, where a hui of families are devoted to the practice of pa'akai, the Hawaiian word for the act of making salt. We also learn about old Oahu place names, recalling salt flats in an area that once was a bustling harbor for commerce. And we hear about the history of salt production on the Friendly Isle and learn about a Kona farm that mined salt from the deep sea. Plus, salt is the focus of a production by the Hawaii Theater for Youth. We'll take a closer look at how that production came together. The conversation starts after the headlines. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Amy Held. Washington is signaling support for Kyiv today on multiple fronts. President Biden, sitting alongside the German chancellor at the White House, says they are working in lockstep to help Ukraine. On the same day, the U.S. Attorney General made an unannounced trip to Ukraine. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced another $400 million aid package and told Russia this will go on for as long as it takes. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports. The latest package includes more ammunition for the U.S. HIMARS and howitzers already in Ukraine, as well as funds for maintenance and training. Secretary Blinken says in a statement that the U.S. will continue to help Ukraine militarily on the battlefield so that it is in the strongest possible position at the negotiating table. There are no signs of any talks, though Blinken says Russia alone could end the war. That's the message he took to the Group of 20 meeting in India this week, too, where he met briefly on the sidelines with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. It was their first face-to-face encounter since the war began. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. Disbarred lawyer Alec Murdoch starts a life sentence today without parole for the murders of his wife and son. He addressed Judge Clifton Newman at the South Carolina sentencing. I'm innocent. I would never, under any circumstances, hurt my wife Maggie, and I would never, under any circumstances, Hurt my son, Papa. Well, and it might not have been you. It might have been uh, the monster you become when you take 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 opioid pills. Murdoch's lawyers say they will appeal. The National Weather Service is warning of the potential for tornadoes in parts of the southeast today, damaging ones already touched down in Texas and Louisiana, part of the same system that brought mounds of snow to mountainous parts of California. A Tennessee state lawmaker is facing calls to resign for controversial remarks about executions. Mariana Bacayao of member station WPLN reports. Tennessee has paused lethal injections for death row inmates. So during a hearing on different execution methods, Republican Representative Paul Sherrill offered a suggestion. Could I put an amendment on that? It would include hanging by a tree also. Black legislators call the statement racist, given Tennessee's history of lynching. Sherrill has apologized, but Black Caucus Chair Sam McKenzie says Republicans should speak up. The GOP needs to come out and call this what it is, to look at Representative Sherrill's history in the 113th General Assembly and say, if we don't stop this now, where does it stop? Sherrill has also proposed changing a street named for civil rights activist John Lewis to President Donald Trump Boulevard. For NPR News, I'm Mariana Bacayao in Nashville. This is NPR News. 
President Biden today awarded 83-year-old retired Colonel Paris Davis with the Medal of Honor for bravery displayed nearly 60 years ago in the Vietnam War, underscored by Davis being one of the first black officers to lead a special forces team in combat. Volunteering to serve a country that in many places still refused to serve people who looked like him. Right away, it was clear that Paris was a born warrior. Davis risked his own life numerous times to save his men in battle. A man charged with threatening the lives of Michigan public officials who are Jewish will remain in jail while his case is pending. He appeared for a brief bond hearing in Detroit. Under a proposed settlement with the FTC, an online therapy company will be banned from sharing customers' sensitive health data for advertising purposes. From member station KQED, Rachel Myro has more. The Teladoc-owned company has agreed to pay close to $8 million to resolve the allegations and stop sharing consumer data with Facebook, Snapchat, and others, despite telling customers for years that it would not. BetterHelp, with 420,000 paying users at the end of last year, accounted for $1 billion of Teladoc's $2.4 billion in revenue in 2022. BetterHelp says it admits no wrongdoing and that its practices are, quote, routinely used by some of the largest health providers. But this case follows similar FTC deals with other online health companies like GoodRx, Flow Health, and Kochava. For NPR News, I'm Rachel Myro. At the closing bell on Wall Street, stocks were higher, the Dow up 387 points. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the George Lucas Educational Foundation, creator of Edutopia. For 30 years, committed to advancing educational innovations and research that improves pre-K to 12 learning. More at edutopia.org. Tune to the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Salt, or pa'akai, has held a significant place in Hawaii's history for decades. Native Hawaiians use sea salt to season and preserve food, not just for storage on land, but also to provide nourishment during ocean voyages. It was also used for religious and ceremonial purposes and as a medicine. Today, we're highlighting salt stories and how salt is produced around the state. And we start in Kauai. The conversations Russell Subiano sat down with Kuule Gaisoa, whose family has been part of harvesting pa'akai for generations from the Hanapepe salt flats. It sits on a clay field along the Garden Isle's southern coast near the runway of Port Allen Airport. Here's a rebroadcast of that interview with Gaisoa, where she shares the process of harvesting the salt and what makes it so unique. First of all, Hawaiian salt is only made during the summer months. During the winter, it is flooded in the area, so we are not able to make Hawaiian salt. It's something that's passed on from generation to generation. So it's the only place in the world that kind of has all those elements in the area that make it special. There's a couple of things. One, water travels underground into a well, Mm -hmm. and the wells are actually kept clean by brine shrimp. So it gives the salt a little bit sweeter taste. The beds are made out of this black clay that's kind of only found in that area. And so you harvest the black clay 
in the beginning of each season and you create this clay pot looking thing. How many total families uh, have? Each family has its own well. 24 total families have access to these fields. How did that come about? Is it just descendants? Is it just lineage? Lineage, yeah. It's just passed down from generation to generation, and it doesn't really go anywhere. Like, we haven't had anyone new ever. Mm -hmm. I've been making salt for, you know, 40 40 years now. My dad's been making salt for 70 years. It's the same same spot, same place. Like I, I tell people, you know, I get to stand in the exact same place my grandmother stood to create a product to give away. And we do it the exact same way she did back in the day. So the beds that we make, mm-hmm. the black clay. So we're on our hands and our knees. We do this wax on, wax off. Yeah. We take a yeah. rock rock first and we bind the clay together. Then we like bake in the sun and then we take a smooth rock and we smooth it out. So you have the, the well that you draw the water from, and then you have the beds that you yeah. fill with water and allow to evaporate, right? So that the salt yeah. remains in, in the beds. So we're building a clay pot mm-hmm. so that when the water goes in, it doesn't seep out. So you want something that can hold the water for the whole season. And it's the exact same beds that we're using. So we just rework the same bed that, that was there the previous year. Do the beds get eroded? Like you were saying over the winter, there's some flooding involved and you have to rebuild the oh, beds. Oh, yeah. So we come in and we just scrape out all that old stuff yeah. and we redo the beds with another layer of black clay that we find in the area. And so when you put the water into the beds, how long does it take for the salt to become visible and then how long does it take to harvest the salt in a good season it's three months it all depends so the first harvest is always the longest takes about three weeks before we do maybe our first harvest and it all depends if it rains Mm -hmm. it melts right so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen that's one issue and the second issue is if it's not sunny it's not hot enough but first we prepare all the beds we go on the weekends, so we start at 6 o'clock in the morning and we go until when we finish. But after the beds are prepared, then we start the watering. So we go every two to three days, depending on how hot it is. We refill the beds, we take water from the well, and we move it into the actual bed. Then what it does is it starts to get kind of uncertain and thick, the water. Mm-hmm. And it starts to form salt crystals, and the crystals get heavy and they drop to the bottom which then creates this, these layers. So the bottom layer is like more reddish and that's what you give to people who fish so they can line their coolers. You give it to people who do blessings, you know, things of that nature. The middle layer that you harvest is a little bit more pinkish. That's where you kind of get that. That's the ones that we give out. We try and separate the salt as much as we can just to give those different colors. And the, the whitest salt, does that end up being the top layer? Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of more what we use for our table salt or things of that nature. Harvest by layer, so it's kind of like a rake when you rake up the salt okay. into baskets. And then we, we go home, we bring this home, and we actually dry it. We wash it on site, and then we take it home and dry it in drying tables. People go through it, they take out any bugs, they take out any debris, kind of give it a rinse in salt water, 
and then it goes on drying tables at home. It takes about a month to dry it before we package it. The saltier and the hotter it is, the faster salt. So like this year was a really good year for us. Production was great this year. We probably had one of the best years we've had. And so once the salt is harvested and it's separated by grade and, and by purpose, what what happens then? Is this, I, I read that you guys don't sell the salt. Do you trade it or do you give it away? Where does it go? Who gets to be able to have some of the salt? My dad gives it to everybody. Mm-hmm. Anybody who asks my father, and he's really good about packaging it up and shipping it out and all those kinds of things. I'm a little bit more particular and I tell people they're not salt worthy mm-hmm. because, you know, I fight really hard to protect the area. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, are you standing with me? Because if you're standing with me and you run over and you call someone and you picked up some trash, then sure, I'll I'll share it all day, every day. But my father spoke me and says I need to do a little bit more this about it and keep it out. So this year I'm trying my best to be a little bit more, you know, giving it out. We do try and also make lists of people that we give it to just so we can see the reach of how far it goes and how much people we actually are able to give salt to Back in the day, we used to go out five-gallon buckets. Now, at least sandwich bags or gallon-sized bags is kind of the go-to right now. Mm-hmm. We don't really ask for anything in return. We just kind of give it. As someone who has benefited from the salt and enjoys the salt, I certainly don't feel like I should just get it. I feel like I should contribute or reciprocate in some way. Is there opportunities for people to come and help with the harvest or help with the prep? Oh, I love when people help. Because when people come and help, number one, it educates. Mm-hmm. Number two, I don't have to do that much work. I can just stand there and point fingers. So because people love it. Like you get in, you get dirty, you get to, you know, they say if you stand in on in earth and work it, then you rejuvenate your the flow, right? Yeah. Of your body and stuff. So you just get this feeling of being able to create a product just because you love your culture and your history and all these things and then to give it away and we pay out everybody who comes to work so you work you get paid and salt that's just how it is so i'm all about it i'm all about education talking about it showing people explaining the process it's one of those things where like if i say hey salt patch is in trouble they're going to expand the airport that's when i want everybody who owns salt or who's tasted it or appreciated it to make a phone call or write a letter or sign a petition that says, hey, I stand with them. Please don't screw around with this because it is still a big part of our culture and our traditions. I know just a a couple of years ago, the helicopter company or something was trying to expand the airport and you guys had to. I mean, they put in a bathroom without a permit. Mm -hmm. Again, water travels on the ground. We survive on what happens on the ground. So if you go and you put in these illegal restrooms without the proper septic and sewer system, where does the water go? You know what I mean? If you take your helicopter and you hang out above us and spin those blades and all those dust and the dirt and debris just blows around, what happens to our clay? What happens to our salt? What happens to all that kind of stuff? When you think about the future of the salt ponds and you think about the families that are currently involved, what do you think will happen two, three generations down the road? Do you think there's enough family coming up in the generations that it'll be able oh, to pass on? It's been an interesting 
try to see, like back in the day when I was growing up, I wanted no part of the song. You could not catch me there. But I had children and then I was like, wait a minute, this is important. Like this is a part of our, not a lot of people get to say that they have a salt patch and, and that they, you know, get to do this thing. So my kids were, so they were raised in it. So it's been, re- I think, and more of my generation and the generation below me are more active in being a part of it. So it's been really beautiful to see the wide range of generations that are now coming out. Whereas back in the day, my father's generation, it was just then. It wasn't as popular as it is today. That was a rebroadcast of an interview HPR's Russell Subiano did with Ku'ule Gaisoa about salt production in Hanapepe, Kauai. It originally aired December 5th, 2022. Pa'akai is the Hawaiian word for salt. Pa'a means solid, and kai is ocean. And we turn our attention to what used to be in our Honolulu and what is happening now in Kaka'ako. Today you may know it as a hipster neighborhood in Kaka'ako. Landowner Kamehameha Schools has developed a new community where it invites people to live, work, and play. But it's an area rich with the history of the old salt flats in the Honolulu Harbor area. Here's an interview we did with Kanoe Pu'u'ohao, Planning and Development Manager of KS, where she talks about the history and the sense of place. Kaka'ako, the area that KS owns and has developed into the community called our Kaka'ako, actually falls into what we call the Moku, or the district of Kona'oahu, within the Ahupua'a of Honolulu, and the smaller land section, the Ili of Ka'akaukukui. So the traditional name for the place that we know as our Kaka'ako today is actually Ka'akaukukui. You know, we know that there is a strong ali'i presence in the area, it was a royal compound and included residences of many ali'i, including Powahi herself. And so it's a special place to us. It's also the location of our headquarters at Kauaiha'o Plaza. Most prominently, it's really known as a place for salt, a place of rich resources. So Ka'akaukukui is known for its salt production and trade. That was definitely one of the prominent features. And that led to the name of the retail center, Salt at our Kaka'ako. But Pa'akai has served as an inspiration for a lot of the history of place. Pa'akai as a traditional ingredient, as you noted, is part of the Native Hawaiian way of life. Before it was a commodity, before it really functioned as an export trade element, it was used to preserve foods, right? So it has the preservation quality, pre-refrigeration, Salt was very important for that function. Traditionally and currently, you know, it is used for purifying purposes in ceremony, right? Physical and spiritual purification. So there are ceremonies such as a pikai ceremony where, you know, we kind of give prayers and have a sprinkling of salt to indicate that purity. It's used medicinally in la'au lapa'au practices. And then the last big feature of salt and pa'akai is that it brings people together. You know, salt is very much the impetus of, of a sense of community. People gather in places where there is both fresh water and salt water. And I think a lot of that energy brought people to the Kaka'ako, Kaka'kukui area. Yeah, there's practices such as Uba'akai, which we you know continue to practice today, where, where folks gather around 
a meal and a sharing, you know, kind of like a potluck. And then that just encourages the building of community. So all of these themes and all of these touch points are, you know, what we found in our research and kind of things that we hearken to and continue to apply today. Well, you know, I have been to countless blessings with the tea leaf and salt, but never really thought much about what that salt means in the context of community. Share with our listeners, you know, about how the salt flats used to be in that area. Yeah, so the salt pans of Kaka'ako were were tremendous. I think we shared a few photos with you that you can just see their references back to the 1800s and 1840s. The commander, Charles Wilkes, described the intensity of the salt manufacturing in this area as large heaps, extensive heaps containing, you know, one to 200 tons of salt. So it was a tremendous production using a lot more, I think, acreage and land area than what you learned about in Molokai. But, you know, salt was then kind of a large commodity of the space. There was a lot of ingress and egress out of, you know, the harbors located in this area, Honolulu Harbor, of course, and right proximal to the shoreline there in Kaka'ako. And salt was exported to California, to China, Oregon, even Russia. So there were large productions in the salt pans and then storehouses, all of that salt, many, many tons coming in and out of the harbor there. I guess that's not hard to believe, you know, when you think of what King Kalakaua did and the journeys that he made around the world, to think that, you know, these lowly salt flats produced this wonderful product that was shared. Yeah, 100%. And salt, I think, often references as the primary resource of this place, but it also was you know, directly proximal to the shoreline at that time, which, which went all the way up to Alamana Boulevard. And, you know, there were fishing villages, and it was also a source of a few really large fisheries of the space, both Ka'akokukui and the neighboring Ili of Kukuloi'o, Kewalo, you know, the, the fisheries of the space were also large resources that extended out into the ocean for the people of the area. And so why was it so important for Kamehameha schools to use salt as kind of the centerpiece, you know, for that property down there? There are many place names of the area, and that's, you know, an important part of our process is to kind of understand place before we seek to, you know, make use or kind of create projects and bring people to place. We like to understand, you know, what is the sense of place and what existed here prior and what are, you know, the guiding kind of themes and especially the Inua Aina, traditional places, uh, place names, and how can they kind of guide our actions and tell us, you know, what was here, what traditionally the place was used for. So there are all sorts of names. Ko, the original name for Honolulu, Mamala Bay, which is, you know, kind of Honolulu Harbor area. Kuloloya is a family name, but also a place name down by the shoreline. Ka'akaukukui, I shared with you. But a lot of these are directly tied to the specific space. So in our developments and in our buildings, we try to definitely make use of and elevate those names to recall them, use them and bring them back into, you know, kind of common lexicon. I think salt was definitely driven from the obvious presence of that function, which you can see like when we do, you know, historical research and archaeological studies, we often can see the layers in the land that show, aside from photos, that these areas were used for this purpose. So every piece of Aina or every market area, as we call them today, (laughs) 
had different functions and different uses back then, but those can be kind of elevated and used as inspiration. The point of salt pa'akai being a gathering element and a community building kind of energy around that was really a good first name <laughs> to elevate for this space. And you can see some of the new projects coming up now have both names that are tied to place, inspired by place, but also that continue to reference the theme of pa'akai in Ka'akaukukui. What we tried to highlight in our Ka'akaukau is, you know, themes of ho'ola, you know, kind of energy, healing energy and, and light given, especially this place where Ka'akaukau specifically, you know, like the history of salt, the salt beds that were prominent, but also the history that's a little darker, right? With all of the ingress and egress and trade and travel and folks coming through this space, there was some sickness, you know, and a lot of hospitals were put up in that space and mm-hmm. kind of reinvigorating the element of, of healing and ho'ola and light and bringing that um, kind of remembrance restoration back to both land and people, I think is, is another kind of guiding point for us of, of continuously elevating culture and what we do, grounding back to Aina and the history of place and how can we just honor that in the process, in addition to salt, which people do so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, mahalo for this. Pa'akai and its place in our Kaka'ako today and beyond. That was a, a story that we did with KS Planning and Development Manager Kanoe Pu'u'ohao, who says while it has the development of its first phase of five blocks underway, it is now shifting to phase two and the remaining five blocks in our Honolulu. The interview originally aired on December 6, 2022. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. Hawaii Public Radio is looking to hire a corporate relations associate. If you're experienced in establishing new business support, enriching existing relationships, and ensuring client satisfaction, we want to hear from you. Read more about the position at hawaiipublicradio.org slash jobs. Application deadline is March 15th. Support for HPR comes from UH Manoa's Richardson School of Law. Its Master of Laws provides specializations in environmental, international, and other fields for attorneys from the U.S. and around the world. Law.hawaii.edu. Twenty-three marks 20 years since the start of a salt farm on Molokai that now operates as Hawaii Kai Corporation. President and CEO George Joseph oversees the company from its California offices. It focuses on bulk sales of its Soul of the Sea label, and clients include high-end restaurants and spas on the mainland. The company employs a handful of full-time and part-time workers on Molokai during the summer months. It's been able to scale up its operation using patented technology and a water purification rapid evaporation process that produces a chunky salt. 
During the pandemic, Hawaii Kai suspended its retail operation but hopes to resume that soon. It has three locations on the Friendly Isle as well as a federally certified facility in California. Here's an interview that we did with Joseph where he details how the company got started and its plan for the future. Hawaii Kai's salt company was started by a gentleman from mainland called Kent Clampett. And he's very much into culinary art, and he has an extremely sensitive, discerning palate. He knows the difference between good taste and bad taste. So he and his wife, Peggy, was touring Molokai, and he came across this small salt-making process and when he tasted that salt, he found something really extraordinary. So then what he did is, he said he wanted to develop a process, because he's an engineer by profession, a process engineer. So he put his own money, a lot of money, and then he developed a system by which he can make the best salt, the best pure, pure salt, in a large quantity with the limited space that we have in the island of Molokai. That was his goal. Mm -hmm. So what he did is, first he found a spot where he can take the water between Lanai and Molokai, and he filtered that water because he wanted the best what is given by the nature and still wanted to take care of all the contamination possible. So he created a filter system. It goes through nine levels of filtration. Microns, so 100 to 50 to 30 to one, and carbon filter and everything. At the end of the line, he gets the purest filtered ocean water. That is the first step. Second step is he concentrated that water by reverse osmosis and a proprietary technology that he developed. Concentrated water, that means less quantity of water can make more salt. Then the next step is he created a system called solar sealed evaporation technique, which is nothing but a completely sealed container, many containers, hundreds of hundreds of containers. And you put a tray in it, and uh, he created a very nice network for piping system so that without touching this pure water, we can plumb this water into this tray. And you put it into this tray inside this solar seal container with a glass top, and the sun will do the job evaporating it. And because of the shape and everything of this solar seal evaporator container, the heat inside will be a little more intense than the sun. So what happens? We get most pure Hawaiian white sea salt with everything nature has given. Only 80% of sodium chloride and 20% all the minerals and electrolyte that nature has put into the ocean. And because it is all sealed, and only the glass top is on the top, or the airborne pollutant is avoided. So what we get is complete or whole, W-H-O-L-E, whole salt, purest white Hawaiian whole salt. You mentioned that you're from India, you know, and that country is known for its spices. So what was it like when you tried this salt for the first time? What did you think? It was fabulous. It was something different. 
and any ordinary food, a simple burger patty or a simple fruit or a simple salad or a simple salmon, grilled salmon or anything, when you put the salt, the taste comes out in a different way, in much better way. And that's what I felt. And the reason I got into the company is I am by profession a CPA. I was a CFO. I was brought into the company by the board of directors because when Ken started it, he convinced some rich people in Orange County to invest along with him. They were all CEOs of big companies. So they brought me in to do the operation. That's how I came in. But I tell you, I fell in love with the salt. I fell in love with Hawaiian culture, and I enjoyed it. And I canceled all our appointment, and I took it as a full-time job. So tell us, I mean, you've been able to scale up this process, and you now sell Molokai salt in bulk. Yes. The reason we could scale up was the technology that can develop and how we can evaporate the salt without having a large area. First is concentrating the water, purifying the water, concentrating the water, then putting that into an environment where it can be evaporated faster. You don't need six months or eight months to evaporate the water. We can do it in a few weeks. And that's how we could scale up the production. And once we scale up the production, the next thing is it has to be perfectly food grade and should be approved by FDA standard. So then what we do is we pack everything in Molokai, which is certified by the health department of Molokai, our operation and our facility. Then we bring that to uh, FDA approved facility in Southern California, which has all the highest quality standard which the whole world wants. For example, we have the SQF level two certification and it is all run by under HACCP. So we bring it there and we do the sifting because what we get in Molokai is very chunky salt. We do sifting and grinding and blending and packing. And most of our customers are on the mainland, Europe, Japan, Australia, and even South America. So it is easy for us to ship product from mainland to our customers. So that's how we scale up. And you're right, we sell it in bulk. Our main business is selling our bulk salt, black salt, red salt, green salt, pink salt, white salt, lemon salt, mock salt. And those are our main products. When we're talking about bulk products, I mean, you're talking five-pound, 40-pound bags of salt. Yes, we sell it in 40-pound carton. We sell to high-end restaurants, and we sell to distributors of high-quality salt, and we sell to high-end spice makers, and the salt is also used in personal care products. So we sell to spas and other personal care product manufacturers. I noticed on your website that due to the pandemic, you put a pause on your retail line. Yes, you are absolutely right. We put a hold on to our retail production because the fulfillment of retail was difficult. And uh, we stopped doing that and we concentrated on the bulk product. And the biggest accolade we get is from chefs. This, they take our salt and they use it on their product and said they have never seen 
never tasted anything like this. We feel very proud of that. And uh, many people from France and uh, Germany and Japan and Colombia and Australia, when they taste our salt, they feel something different. They feel something very unique about our salt in terms of consistency, taste, and everything. And we feel very proud of that. That was an interview that we did with George Joseph of Hawaii Kai Corporation on December 7th, 2022. His company has been producing salt on Molokai going on two decades now. So what lies ahead? Well, the company hopes to resume its retail operations with plans to hire additional full-time and part-time workers. Support for HPR comes from Hakawone, committed to building a neighborhood in Kaka'ako Makai where all are welcome, offering keiki and kupuna care, and including a cultural center, farmers markets, and housing options. Hakawone.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm John Gray. And I'm Arjuna Arda. We are the authors of Conscious Men. Next time on New Dimensions, we'll be talking about understanding men and women and their new challenges and relationships. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Sea Salts of Hawaii hosted a grand opening blessing for its facility in Kona at the end of last year. It's where salt comes from seawater some 2,200 feet below the surface. The company joined forces taking over the operation from Kona Pa'akai. Pa'akai is the Hawaiian word for salt. Pa'a means solid, kai is ocean. And we were there recently as tours of the salt farm reopened to the public at a newly renovated visitor center. Take a listen as our guide, Kanikoa Pon White, talks to us about Pa'akai production back in the day on Kauai and Molokai. Uh, traditionally, you grab the lauhala, which you see right here, comes from a tree, but basically this is a dried leaf. You kind of want to weave it into a large mat. Once this mat is made, toss it into the ocean. Leave it for about 30 minutes, pull it up, still strong. Put it on a very rocky area where it's dry, no debris. Let it go for an entire day, come back the next day, pick up the lahala mat and just roll it. Once you roll it, you see salt starting to fall. That's how they um, naturally make their salt. But the thing is in Hanapepe, they do not sell their salt. Um, they believe traditionally that it is culturally acceptable to trade gifts and not necessarily money. And then the second place, folks, it's actually in Moloka'i, where my mother is from. They have the Moloka'i salt farm. We actually sell two of their salts inside of our store here. One of them is called Oahi, and in Hawaiian, Oahi translates to black smoke. And how is that made? Again, you get the salt. And what you wanna do is, uh, on the other process, grab a bunch of coconut shells, just the shells themselves. Put it in a pile, kind of burn it up, wait till it's a cinder. Now it's um, basically dust. 
This dust is actually known as coconut charcoal. This coconut charcoal, mix it up, and there you have it, Oahi. The tour shares more of Hawaii's history and this sense of place. The seven-acre facility shares space with an algae company that began operating at the state's Natural Energy Laboratory in 1999. Melanie Kelly Colio was there from the beginning and has watched the business morph over the years. She's excited to move into this next phase of diversification for Sea Salts of Hawaii as its visitor center offers rental venues for events as well as a retail space for those who stop by for the eco-tours. It's the latest venture of this marine culture business. Here's our interview with Kelly Coelho. Primarily the biggest difference is the seawater, the, the access of the 2,200 feet deep seawater that we're actually able to use to make our sea salt. You know, it's not like your most other places, it's just common surface seawater. So that's the biggest difference there. And then also, you know, it's not mined or anything like that. And in order to stay within like health department guidelines and that kind of thing you know we fully enclose our evaporation units so although we still use the natural solar you know the natural sun to evaporate we do have some little more modern twist i mean if you go back to ancient tradition times it was just out in the open obviously things are different now you know it's maybe not as clean or you know even just being in the area that we're in there's a lot of gravel and so there's a lot of you know you can have some dust particles in the air so just trying to keep it pristine has been one of our biggest thing i mean we have this already pristine deep sea water and it never sees the surface for 900 years you know and then coming into our evaporation unit so we make sure we've got like filtered air coming in there and it's it's totally pristine so when the salt actually crystallizes it's just the whitest salt you've ever seen you are also committing a portion of the proceeds to help clean up Papahanao Makuakea and and I think you know there's a big thing now with regenerative tourism you know healing the land healing the aina and the ocean and so this seems to be one of the bright spots is that you folks are incorporating a lot of the you know Hawaiian values and you know what makes this place special yeah, you know, we obviously we still have lots of work to do. I mean, we're still working on becoming more energy efficient, as well as, you know, as you mentioned that, you know, our, part of our proceeds go to Papahanaumokuakea debris project. And for ourselves too, trying to, trying to find that balance between, you know, requirements as well as, and then trying to stay as, you know, as, as green as possible. It, it's definitely a work in progress for us, and, but I feel like we're definitely head, headed in the right direction. It takes a lot of planning and, and, and trying to make it right. And so you folks are open for tours. You now have a retail shop. Where else are your products sold? Uh, let's see, we're like in all of the ABC stores in the state. Uh, we're also um, in some of the Whole Foods, uh, let's see, uh, and some of the local markets on the islands. And, you know, it's just, I think, it's been a great partnership for Sea Salt of Hawaii and Kona Sea Salt and, um, and just kind of getting our name out there. And then just trying to stay, stay pure to the product, I think is really important. You know, the tough part is trying to produce it at a, a large scale and to be able to meet the, the demands. So it's just trying to use some of the old traditions, but also incorporating newer technology to help us out in that in that respect. This area here, I mean, this was a research facility to be able to 
try new things, to innovate, and you know, help with the whole sustainability issue. You know, just um, I guess it's a work in progress. And that's exactly what it was: is research and development. I mean, you know, first from microalgae, and then the sea salt, and learning about the mineral content in the sea salt, and and then actually learning how to produce it. And and so it has been just kind of a research and development, and just growing from there. Yeah, so trial and error. And then is this modeled after another salt facility anywhere else? So you're just trying to see what works? You know, it, it hasn't been modeled from anywhere else. It's just trying to make it work in, in this place that we're at. So just sort of kind of putting our evaporation units into a place that was actually made for something else originally and then and then just trying to like mold it right. from there. And so you were here at this facility when it was doing the algae? Microalgae, yes, we were growing microalgae first, and it was just about research and development as far as um, scaling, you know, scaling up. It was, it's always the challenge, right? So it was originally AquaSearch when I first started, and then it changed to Mera. So I was kind of on this roller coaster ride, Mera, and then Kona Pa'akai, and now Hawaiian Islands trading. You know, so it's been a great learning process up till now, and I feel like, you know, now we've, we're going to start to see our potential and actually and grow from there and trying to do it right as best we can. That was our interview with Melanie Kelly-Colio that originally aired on December 8th, 2022. Sea Salts of Hawaii aims to educate visitors and residents about salt and its place in our history. And that includes explaining Hawaiian values about responsibility, our kuleana, and the need to take care of the land, Malama the Aina as well as the ocean. The company shares a portion of its proceeds to help with marine debris problems in the Pacific Ocean and the efforts to protect Papahanao Makuakea, the marine preserve area in our backyard. Support local news coverage on HPR. The world's largest volcano, Mauna Loa, has erupted for the first time in nearly 40 years. So there's no civil defense warnings, no public or police warnings at all. Mauna Loa eruptions have typically all started in Mokuaveoveo caldera, and then about half of them have moved into a rift zone, and that's exactly what we saw for this eruption. We have Big Island Mayor Mitch Roth on the line now. We've uh, been going out to our community, we've been educating our community, we've, we've been working with our partners. We've actually been doing that for the last couple of months and so we're in a pretty good sense of preparedness but you can never be too prepared. I wasn't frantic or anything like that because we were already kind of expecting it. I already had some things semi-packed because over time we've been told that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We'd like to steer people towards the uh, Hawaii Civil Defense website. There's a hazard map. We get that information up very quickly. Donate today at hawaiipublicradio.org.
Hawaii is the only state completely surrounded by the salty Pacific Ocean. That may explain the special relationship with pa'akai, or salt, and why it's the focus of Hawaii Theater for Youth's production entitled The Pa'akai We Bring. It's inspired by the generations of Kauai families who have harvested from the Hanapepe salt flats. Before writing the script, lead artist Moses Goods, along with HTY team members, went to the Garden Isle to immerse themselves in salt. Here's an excerpt from the show. Here is where the transformation happens, the magic of salt. From this island, this quilt of patches, each one made by hand. The sea, the air, the sun, working together as one. In the same way that if you sprinkle a little bit of salt on food, you preserve it, you make it last longer, we as storytellers and theater makers and cultural practitioners preserve stories so that it'll last for future generations. Hawaiians have a saying, pipi holo ka'au, which means if you sprinkle the tale, you sprinkle the story, it'll spread far and wide. The crystals were there all along, but it's only when the sun lifts the water away that the tiny gems choose to reveal themselves. Glistening, shimmering, salt. Pa'akai. The Conversation Zillion Song sat down with HTY's artistic director, Eric Johnson, last year to talk about this original musical steeped in Hawaiian traditions of pa'akai. You know, there are lots of different ways of harvesting salt. So Hanapepe is not the only people who do that, but they're probably one of the most famous and have a traditional kuleana to that land. So we did get to get our hands dirty, turn our hands down to the earth and work and not just you know be the storytellers to tell about this story, but we actually participated in it. And it was such an honor to work with the families who've been doing this for thousands of years and be a part of that practice. And then our practice is to then take it and turn it into songs and stories and be able to gift that to young people and families all over these islands. And you know, it's looking like later on in May, we'll take this to the mainland And then in the following year, there's even an international tour in the works. A big theme in the show is that pa'akai is a traditional gift that you would bring to someone. And these Hanapepe families who work so hard, they don't sell their salt. They only give it away. And I think it is such an exquisite example of aloha and that tradition of giving and what do you bring to the world is something that we really thought, you know, even the kids who aren't making their own salt would want to have, you know, that that message at this time. You have made it very friendly for the audience, distilled these really rich generational traditions, life lessons, and this community in Hanapepe, they are opening their hands They are the guardians of this traditional knowledge for five generations to be working in those salt ponds together. You could just see the pride in Grandpa's face when he was like, yeah, my grandkids are correcting, like, Grandpa does it this way. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. But, I mean, it's just so heartwarming. It's such an inspirational piece to know that families do this together. Really appreciated how they stipulated 
no negativity mm-hmm. is ever uttered when you're working with the salt. That was something that really struck us as well, that a gift contains the mana you put into it. So don't bring bad arguments or negative feelings into the salt ponds so that when you make the salt, then the salt carries your energy. And then when you gift it to someone, you gift it with that same spirit of aloha. And I think that goes for so many things, especially around the Hawaiian culture that makes Hawaii unique and beautiful. And it's going to be fun to get to share that with local families. Mm. And so another fun thing about this production is the music. I've got an earworm. E ho'opili mai, e pu'upa'akai, e pu'upa'akai. Yes, pu'upa'akai. The same phrase, which is for coming together and sharing food in certain situations and sharing salt is considered part of that. And so that's a sing-along that the audience gets to do with the actors. There are several sections that are participatory where the audience is actually asked to sing or clap or be a part of the performance. And when we went about making this piece, we really thought, you know, people have been stuck at home watching Netflix for a long time now. And we wanted the piece to feel live and to be that sharing of space together. And I know that Moses was really interested in bringing aloha and healing to young people and the communities who haven't been brought together for so long. So the whole thing feels like a big potluck. Sharing stories, talking, laughing, even looking at some of the harder things that the salt farmers have faced in an age-appropriate way. Hmm. What are some of those harder things that the farmers have to deal with? Well, you know, any tradition that's passed on through generations can come up against resistance and the lands themselves have struggled with neighbors and encroachment and you know now climate change and sea level rise is changing the weather changing some of the realities that are around them but the resilience of the practice and the resilience of the families is so beautiful and it is a rare thing in the world to find a community that faced with adversity doesn't clamp their hand closed but rather opens it with aloha and says, you know, hey, these are our gifts. Let's share more salt is our way of reaching out into the world. We're not going to cling to Mm. things that are there. We're going to share and open our practice and really be intentional about passing that on. And it really comes across. Your crew has done a deep dive on Pa'akai, spending time with the community, experiencing it firsthand in the mud, soaking in the water, the wisdom, kind of like the salt process. It was very like the salt process. And we gained some wisdoms along the way from the people who do this practice. You know, one of the conversations we've had within the company is these families are salt families. They are so into that. But, you know, other families are volleyball families. Other families are food and eating. And other families are really into lion dancing. It's so beautiful to see families have a way of being together and drawing closer through activity, through work, through giving. That is something that really feels like this place to me. You know, the piece is a celebration. It's a celebration of the culture here, the land here, the elements that make this place so special. And people all over the world get salt in different ways. Here in Hawaii, we are surrounded by salt. You know, one of my big revelations, you know, is we were filling the beds with water from Waipuna. And, you know, it was said, 
you know, the salt is already there. Everything that is needed is already in the bed. You know, you've just put it in there. And now those beautiful crystals, all it has to do is kind of reveal itself with, you know, the process of time and sun. And I think what a message for young people to know that what they have is already there. It is within them. And parallels could be made to aging and growing up, you know, and suddenly you're going to see what beautiful crystals remain within you as you go through that process. With this piece, you celebrate being one with nature in gathering salt. What has the audience response been? What are you hearing? The audience response is amazing. I think people are surprised by, you know, you come in and you think, oh, salt, it's going to be like a bunch of instructional videos or sciencey things. But once you get into the story, everyone who comes will learn something, they'll take away something, they'll be moved in some way. And so I think that has been surprising to us in, in many ways, just how much people are hungry for connection and these some of these basic values like sharing with each other or our connection to our natural world mm-hmm. or our connection to our ancestors and our cultural world. And I think all of those stories are so important. And right. to be able to share them as a family, is this is the time to do that. Mm-hmm. This is your first season back, yeah. full season back on stage. What has it been like in person? Oh my gosh, it's great to be back live. To be able to safely peel masks off the actors' faces and to see expressions and to share laughter in a room with the audience. We love the live performance. And I think that for a family to share that together, for a family to, you know, to have that carve out that special time to share a story together that they can laugh, wiggle, dance, however, you know, it hits them in the moment, but then carry that home. And especially this story, which is a piece of Hawaiian culture that maybe the parents know about, maybe they don't know about, but the whole family is going to share this ancient story and ancient practice and take that home with them for the holidays. We're delighted to be able to provide that space for families again. It's been a long time, and it feels great to have audiences back in the theater. That was HDY Artistic Director Eric Johnson talking with HPR's Lillian Song. The Salt production toured Island School statewide, and plans are in the works to bring the show to the mainland in the coming months and then internationally. That's it for our show, showcasing salt stories in Hawaii, past and present. You can listen back to our program on the conversation page of the HPR website or sign up for the conversation podcast on Spotify or Apple. Our program is produced by Russell Subiono, Lillian Song, and Stephanie Hahn. The Backyard Quiz theme written for us by John DeMello. Music theme courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation. Mm-hmm.